Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor.fm, the absolute best and easiest way to host your podcast and get paid for it by running ads just like these. And take it from me, I've hosted at least seven of my podcasts on Anchor.fm. I recommend it to every show on our network. And other hosts are going to charge you upwards of $100 every year just to run your podcast on their host. Anchor.fm does it for free. So go check out Anchor.fm for more information. Robots Radio presents... The Cyberpunk Lorecast. Welcome to the Cyberpunk Lorecast, where style is just as important as substance. Welcome to the podcast where we explore the lore, news, and gameplay of the cyberpunk games and other dystopian worlds. I'm your host, Robots. All right, welcome back, Cyberpunks. This is a very special episode of the Cyberpunk Lorecast because with me this week, and by the way, I'm Tom, your host, or Robots, you can call me either. Uh, but with me this week, I have a very special guest, somebody who works with our Telsorian Games. In fact, they are the ambassador for our Telsorian Games, and they have also worked as the layout artist and a writer on Cyberpunk Red. Jay Gray. Welcome to the show, Jay. How's it going? It is going all right. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining me. I, you and I have been chatting uh, for a while now as I've been producing the podcast, and you've been a wonderful connection into some of the things going on uh, in the world of cyberpunk and a little bit behind the scenes of you know, Artel Sorian. It's kind of, it was always nice to have a little bit of a connection into the, uh, the companies behind the content that I'm talking about on these shows and I'm super excited to have you on the show because well first of all I I'd love to get a little bit of your background with cyberpunk how did you get started playing and being involved with cyberpunk how did that how did that come about oh I mean I've, I've been a gamer since I was in high school and so I played all kinds of games uh, from RTG and from other companies and uh, no, though so, uh, my love for RT, uh, R tells rain comes less uh, from cyberpunk though. I do love cyberpunk and from another of their games called castle Falcon scene, which is a steampunk game, um, uh, fantasy steampunk game. And uh, I did some writing for a company that licensed that a while back. And I did some promoting online of the books that they published and uh, the, Mike and Lisa Pondsmith and Cody Pondsmith over at Artel's Lion liked what I did. And when they needed someone to do media and that kind of thing, they asked me to uh, to join in. And I said, sure. And then it turned out that, for example, they didn't know I could do layout and I can do layout. And so I ended up doing layout. They knew I was writing. So they pulled me in for some writing. And uh, it's a small company. So people do whatever they can uh, on every project. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've been a part of those kinds of things before where you start in one thing and then they go, oh, you can do this other thing, too. And then all of a sudden your your job balloons into multiple <laughs> types of things. Um, no. What's it? So what is it like working with uh, Mike and the other the rest of the team? Oh, it, it's fantastic. It's a great group. Um, it, it is chaotic. Any creative group is going to be has have a little bit of, of chaos, but fairly organized chaos. Uh, Mike 
is um he's not mad but he is a genius and <laughs> no, I, I, I say this i say this with all sincerity he is just he knows things and his mind just goes expands and goes off on these tangents and he writes and he writes and he writes and he researches and he puts things together um and so as a result um you know working with him is just you know imagine you know working with that guy that knows just about everything uh-huh. or something about everything yet at the same time is this amazingly personable and friendly and you know really humble uh, uh, guy, not like I, not, not, not self deprecating. He knows that he knows what he knows, but you know, he's, it's just, that's just who he is. And he doesn't think of it as a big deal. Right. He doesn't flaunt it over people in a way. He oh. just, that's just who he is. He, he spends a lot of time learning and, you know, and it's interesting that you, um, you sum him up in that way. Cause that's, that's very similar to the perspective. I, I think he comes across like that a lot in interviews and when he talks with the media. Um, and, and I think that's one of the things I really like about him is I, I personally uh, believe in constantly learning. If there's something I'm interested in. I mean, we, we live in the world of information, the information age. We have whatever information we want kind of at the tips of our fingers. And if there's something I don't know, I go look it up. You know, and he, he comes across as as the kind of guy who's just constantly learning and and incorporating the things that he's learning in the content that he's making. Oh, certainly. And it is rather amazing. Um, I mentioned Falconstein, and this is true of Cyberpunk, too. Uh, there is a lot of real world knowledge that goes into his games. Um, and when you stop and think about that, many of these things he originally wrote for uh, the rise of the internet and Wikipedia as a jumping off point to start your research. Um, it's really amazing that, you know, he, he, he was doing this before you could just say, oh, I need to know about this particular aspect of this culture, uh, which is relatively obscure. And, but unfortunately the internet exists. No, he, you know, he, vast library and time spent in public libraries and university libraries and, you know, doing it the old fashioned way. Yeah. You actually had to go walk into a place and find a book and use a card catalog. And man, I, with the internet, the way it is now, I can't imagine having to jump through all those hoops again in order to find information. Would be amazing to have to do it again. We could, but it was, it's nice that we don't have to. Yeah, totally. Totally. So when did you get started with them? I have been with the company for just about two years now. Um, uh, they are, they brought me on board uh, June in t- about June, 2018, June, July, 2018, uh, just before uh, Gen Con, which is the big role-playing game and tabletop game convention in the United States. Uh, and uh, I've been with them since. Cool. Cool. So uh, is there, <laughs> I've worked with some companies that are uh, absolutely I don't know, corporate and very white collar and everything goes by the books. And then I've worked with other companies that are startups and everything's a little bit more loose or smaller companies like this. Do you guys have any like game time behind the scenes? Do you, do you try out the products as you design them? Oh um, yeah, there's plenty of gaming. Uh, Everybody has regular games they play. Um, necessarily as a company uh, sometimes it's just individuals friends because sometimes you want to get away from your coworkers. sure <laughs> and uh pawnsmiths play a lot of games as a family uh, is you know something they still do they've done since uh since their son was very small and they still do today they they have their own games that they that's family time and that's special for them 
and sometimes they are cyberpunk and sometimes they are different things uh, uh for example mike is uh mike uh likes it any game good game designer plays uh, other games uh games outside their own designs because that's one of the ways you learn new things about game design yeah yeah totally i i enjoy jumping between worlds and playing lots of different types of games so i can imagine that that's that's how that goes what when it comes to games from your perspective what what other kinds of games do you enjoy uh so many um i'm about to embark on a game of Royatema, which is a japanese role-playing game which is imagine if miyazaki wrote a movie about traveling was it that's that's the whole premise is if if a a wonderful anime movie was about getting from point a to point b that's the point of the game it's very cute and fun you know i've played just about everything that's on the market at some point or another and i've enjoyed most things do you consider yourself more of a tabletop gamer or a video gamer or you just kind of go back and forth between oh no no i play video games too um i have recently really enjoyed hitman 2 and i uh scarfed through persona 5 royal um and uh i am just you know whatever i don't buy as many games as i used to uh, because as i get older i realize that i don't need that i I would often get a game play it for a little while and then trade it back in because it turned out not to be a game i want to want to play but uh so i'm i'm selective than i used to be but there are still plenty of games which i've enjoyed uh oftentimes they're relatively obscure japanese games uh, though that is changing uh they are getting more attention these days oh that's that's really interesting yeah it's you know you think about video games and the development of video games over the years and you go back to say the the late 80s early 90s nintendo era of games and Japan was so influential in that period, uh, especially with Nintendo and, you know, Final Fantasy coming out and, you know, all of these other games that made it into the mainstream uh, from these Japanese publishers. And then we went through a period where, uh, at least in the United States, games became way more American and European centric. Uh, The Japanese games kind of started to fall off after, uh, I guess, the Xbox era, you could say. PlayStation had their time with more Japanese focus and then all of a sudden things went you know halo and and call of duty and those became the big ones but i've noticed that especially with games like persona 5 and monster hunter and some of these other japanese popular games in the united states and the resurgence of nintendo with the switch and animal crossing and all of their properties that things seem to be i don't know there was a period where i was i was concerned that japanese titles weren't going to get much uh, I don't know, popularity anymore in the United States, but it seems to be changing. Do you feel the same? I, I think I think there's a circle that happens where you have um, in the United States, you have because you can see in some of the early uh, Japanese uh, RPGs, you see the influence of, say, Dungeons and Dragons and Final Fantasy. Um, and then Final Fantasy, obviously, and similar games, obviously uh, inspired uh, and Metal Gear Solid and so forth eventually inspired uh, American uh, new wave of American uh, creators, and I think that people who were kids that grew up to make games in the United States went on to make Mass Effect and Halo and the like, and they were inspired by those Japanese games. And now you're seeing uh, American style play inspiring new Japanese game makers, 
And so there is this back and forth. I think, and there's a nice dichotomy. It's nice that we have uh, games from both countries and from Europe, uh, like uh, CD Projekt Red and uh, Ubisoft and uh, Hitman, for that matter. You know, those are all games that are coming from games and studios. You're coming from Europe, and it's it's lovely to see a nice mix and see what all the different uh, styles are bringing to the world. Yes, I'm glad that we have that. Uh, dichotomy that uh, back and forth um, the, the creative process is better for it I believe being able to pull from multiple influences and um, and you mentioned CD Projekt Red and I'm going to get to them a little bit later in the interview but before that um, the theme of back and forth this theme of um, Western and Eastern and United States and Japan and uh, this combination of these two worlds into something is very cyberpunk there's a lot of that a lot of that influence in cyberpunk itself. Um, do you find that having a, an interest in Japanese games and culture helps you in your job, especially when it comes to writing things for cyberpunk red? I mean, having in, in cyberpunk, there are, uh, there's, there's a lot of influences. Uh, you have a strong Japanese influence. Cyberpunk was born out of the cyberpunk genre of the eighties, where uh, at the time uh, the Japanese economic power was ascendant. So there was an assumption that fit into it, especially aesthetically with movies like Blade Runner um, and uh, literary, literarily uh, as in movie, books like Neuromancer, you saw that. Um, but at the same time, if you look at the world of cyberpunk, uh, one of the major powers is, <clears throat> they call it the, uh, it's still the, e, the EC as opposed to the EU, but it's Europe. Um, and Africa is uh, the major space power. Uh, because that's where the ma- the mass drivers that launched all the stuff into space was, and it turns out that the you know the population native population was able to to adapt to that quickly, and so you have a large uh, African uh, uh, contingency uh, in space in near orbit. So while having interest in Japanese uh, things is useful, uh, cyberpunk is really a very multicultural setting. Yeah, yeah, and, so and knowing, sorry, knowing lots of culture, knowing lots of cultures is is super helpful, and and, and trying to dig into that. And Martel uh, Zorian has always had a uh, when we write about a place, we get locals on the ground to help us, and you'll see that in our source books for uh, the UK, for Europe, for uh, the Pacific Rim. Uh, we got you know locals uh, who are game writers to work on the projects, and so it wasn't just a bunch of Americans writing about uh, England or Europe or Japan. It was locals writing about those places. That's really cool, especially with all the um, I don't know the cultural awareness in society these days, and this idea of uh, white culture co-oping other cultures and you know dressing up and walking around as them without any real substantial knowledge about them to to reach out to those other creators from those cultures and get them involved seems absolutely like the best way to do that i I didn't realize you guys were so uh connected in that way i figured you know a a small team you guys were probably doing a lot of research but to to reach out like that seems um impressive you know it seems like absolutely the right way to do it yeah most game studios work a lot with a bunch of with with freelancers uh to bring in Upset perspectives and uh, just finish the word count because there's o- there's only so much one small team can do for writing, especially if you want to put out uh, source books fairly regularly. Um, and there is there's just nothing better than someone who can 
walk to a place and say, this is what it looks like because they are physically there. Uh, you're writing about a the real world, but a world that is has a foundation in the real yeah. And, and I can imagine um, having somebody who is a native speaker of the language also helps, too, because there's so much uh, underneath the language in a culture and how that connects to things and the way that individuals from that culture see the world come about in their use of language and thinking. And I can imagine that 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 flavor added into the text really makes it authentic. It is important it's because you're right. Language. It makes a difference um, and you can see it. Um, you know, we have translators uh, who are translating our products in other languages, publishers in those native countries. And, you know, a lot of times we'll come to us and say, you can't, we can't translate this term exactly because this term means something differently when we translate it. But can we change it? And, you know, we listen to them because it's important. They know what they're talking about and we don't. Yeah. So that, that brings up some other points. I know cyberpunk, especially with the, uh, uh, you know, uh, upcoming release of 2077 is gaining a lot of momentum in the United States. And, you know, this is where we live and where we work. And it's, you know, the other gamers I talk to are talking about this. Um, how, what is the popularity for, let's just start with the tabletop cyberpunk in other places around the world. What is that like? Where else is well, it cyber- popular? I mean, cyberpunk, I, I, I can't give you figures, but cyberpunk 2020 was translated into a bunch of languages. Um, and uh, Cyberpunk Red most likely will be as well. We get a lot of uh, questions and fan mail for Cyberpunk as well as our Witcher tabletop role-playing game. Um, Europe, um, especially uh, uh, from both Western and Eastern Europe, which is great. And, you know, and the fact that if it hadn't been translated into Polish, we wouldn't have Cyberpunk 2077 because that's how it started. They played the game way back when and when they decided they wanted to make a science fiction game they said what about this game we love back you know uh, they came out do you think they'll let us make it and it turns out we would and it was the start of a beautiful partnership yeah so can you uh, expand on that a little bit i'm sure people are very interested in how that came about i mean I, you know from the video game perspective you have video gamers who are more focused in video games so they're going to be familiar with the witcher and the you know the witcher 3 and cd project red but for a lot of them back when was that 2013 when the cyberpunk trailer came out i'm sure there was a lot of googling going on going what is this what is this exactly where does this come from? You know, um, wh- can you fill in some of the gaps for the for that video game audience? Like how you're saying that they the, they were fans of the game. They they played it themselves. They decided that this would be a good world to build stuff out in. How did that how did that come about? Are there more details you can share? Sure. And it, it's not surprising. Uh, tabletop role playing games is a relatively niche, um, but growing uh, uh, hobby. And when mention it, they'll think of Dungeons and Dragons and uh, either not realize or not know any, there are other games or not know there are other games. So that's, that's not surprising. Um, but, uh, basically a company called Copernicus, which is a publisher in Poland back when, uh, licensed Cyberpunk 2020, they did a translation in Polish Some people bought it. Some people played it. Some of those people went on to found CD project red. Wow. Uh, so the founders know, themselves were fans from back, back in the day. Uh, yeah, and uh, so they, they, one day, as Mike tells it, they got a uh, wife, Lisa, and our business manager got a call, and she said, "There's some people from Poland. They wanna, they want to uh, make a video game out of Cyberpunk 20." And this had isn't the first time someone has 
talked to us about it. Uh, it it's been uh, there, there's been attempts to license it multiple times over the years, and they're very Mike and Lisa are very hesitant about giving uh, licenses for property. They want to make sure that the studio will do it right. A lot of people they want to take it and then gut it and just use six or change it entirely, and they want to make sure that what comes out looks like what they created. So Mike, um, as Mike says, uh, he had worked for Microsoft in the early Xbox days, and part of his job was to go to studios in Europe and often Eastern Europe and vet them to see if they were, you know, worth working with. And so he expected, you know, four guys and a goat in a small room. And he got there and he found a really impressive operation. They had uh, put out Witcher 2. They were working in Witcher 3. Uh, and yeah, they convinced him. And that is how 2077 was born. That's awesome. <laughs> Four guys and a goat. Um, yeah, I would love to go see their their studios over there. I've been a fan of their work since The Witcher 1. Um, I'm a video gamer, but also a tabletop gamer. I, I play anything I can get my hands on and you know get a group of people together to, to play. Um, but uh, I have been regularly impressed with uh, the growth of the studio over the years. And when I heard that they were going to do Cyberpunk... I was I was very intrigued because they have done such a um, and I've read a lot of the Witcher books, too. They've done such a good job in creating that world that we find in the books in a way that translates very well to the games uh, and calls back a lot of the material almost uh, not exactly one to one, but very close to the reference material that that they pull from and, and the witcher games are in a later time period than the books happen but there are a lot of quests and things that that really pull back from that time period um have you had a chance to I, i'm sure you guys are working very hand in hand i'm sure you've seen builds of the game um when it comes to the world design my impression is that they're they're doing a killer job what are your feelings about seeing this come to life when I went to Poland, I wasn't allowed to leave the cafe and the small cafe they have in, in the building. So I don't know. Um, I, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> they they the locked answer, you up with the goat. Yeah, they locked me up with the goat. No, uh, <laughs> the answer is is they are they are as a company that one part of their philosophy is an incredible dedication and love of the source material, while at the same time not being slavishly devoted to the source material. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, they, they are willing, they talk and there's a lot of back and forth with Mike and, uh, the folks at CDPR about this thing and that thing and the other thing and this bit of lore and that bit of lore and some lore that's never actually been published, uh, that Mike only had in his head because, you know, when someone writes a character, they often know far more about a character than they put in their books. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, well, that's exciting too. Uh, but uh, the, the, so yeah, no, they are dedicated and they want to put out the best possible game, uh, and that is very obvious in everything they've done, and even obvious in the fact that they've delayed the game uh, twice because they know uh, that it's better to put out a good game uh, late than it is to put out a bad game on time. Yeah, it's that Nintendo philosophy of like, uh, a, you know, game put out early will will be bad, or I don't remember the actual quote, but then you know, game put out on time is good will always be good. Um, and that's what people will remember. Um, so I'm, I'm very much for take the, take the time you need, do it right. Get it out there. Um, have you been able to get hands on in the game yourself? 
Oh, no, no, no. I have not been able to play the game. I'm looking forward to it, but I suspect that I will not play the game until everyone has it. Wow. Okay. So you're, you're very much in our shoes too, where we're just kind of drooling over every little piece of gameplay um, footage that comes out. I, I, I was, I was at, um, three last year so i got to see the demo that the press saw and that was very impressive but i've never actually gotten to put my hands on a controller yeah so are there are there reveals that have come out when you've seen them in the game that you uh that you i don't know what's your perspective on this because you're so into this in a way that a lot of us aren't when you're behind the scenes are there things that get you excited when you see them pop up on the screen i will tell you what I don't know if you've seen this yet, that three different YouTube channels have mixed Johnny Silverhands and taste tested them Uh Uh, in the recent, in the recent reveal, there's a point where they're at the bar in the after the afterlife, which is a bar from the original Canon. Um, and, uh, Jackie orders two Johnny Silverhands, one for himself and one for V. Um, uh, what tequila old fashions with, uh, uh, a bit of beer and uh, chili garnish and so i've seen three different channels make them and there was a recipe for a silver hand in the original night city source book uh, it is a different recipe um, because uh, in the afterlife uh, you don't get a drink named after you until you die preferably in a big spectacular way that catches everybody's attention and the silver hand in the book was just a drink served in night city named after a living guy so he got a different drink named after him after he died uh, spoiler by the way johnny dies or does he <laughs> spoiler in, in cyberpunk what? 2020 <laughs> what spoiler um, for anybody who hasn't who hasn't read the source material or listened to episodes <laughs> about him yes <laughs> um but that was Super cool because I am, you know, there's a lot of these channels I'm already fans of. You know, I watch them not as part of my job, but just because just like everyone else, I love watching really cool geek media stuff and seeing these people make this drink from a game based on based on source material, which I have a tiny, tiny, tiny part in bringing to the world is just I, I was floating the rest of the day. That was just cool. And it was, a, it's a small thing, you know, it wasn't a big thing. It, it's, it's not like, Oh, Oh, this cool thing. Uh, you know, this great hundred plus hour game is being made and I can recognize all the cool stuff in it, but just seeing this little bit of pop culture zeitgeist was amazing in a way that, and the fact that I'm going to be able to get a Funko pop of a character my boss created and put it on my workshelf is awesome. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. Um, I think you're right. It's it's those little things uh, that really color in a world that really make it lived in. You know, like uh, it makes sense. The place is called the afterlife. They're going to name drinks after people who have passed away. And um, uh, somebody did something very similar. Uh, I do the Fallout lore cast as well. And there was a, a drink made based off of Nuka Shine in the Fallout games. And um, and, and it's, some, it's something I find so cool about these communities. It's something I mention on my podcast is that the reason why I do these shows is to facilitate community. Uh, I've, I've had a career, I've had multiple careers where I've worked in jobs where, you know, I put a Funko Pop on my desk and everybody looks at me cross-eyed and they're like, what's that toy on your desk? You know, and they, they don't get it. They don't understand that these worlds are better than movies. They're bigger than movies. They're, they're deeper than a lot of the novels that people have read. 
um, they're more complex and they have characters and storylines that really draw us in and help us relate to the real world better. And, and there's, there's reasons why fiction and games play such a pivotal role in our society. It's, it's more than just entertainment and to see that work into people's lives is really, really impressive. Yeah, no, it is. It's super exciting. Um, Oh, uh, I have, um, I, I will confess, uh, during E3 last year, the, you know, the jackets they handed out to all the press people that saw the thing, uh, these reversible jackets, they are yellow on one side and say cyberpunk on the back and black on the other side. And they have the samurai, uh, logo on it, um, on the back. And, uh, everyone who got to see the demo at E3 last year got to get one. And so I got one, uh, Mike's is more impressive than mine. Cause Mike says team member on it. Mine doesn't, uh, <laughs> I have worn it to uh, my local GameStop a couple of times just to see if people would comment on it. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I will admit to, uh, to a little bit of, uh, of vanity there, not much, but just a little. Did people comment once it was very cool. Someone said it was a very cool jacket. Um, <laughs> very cool jacket, buddy. You you can now buy it, I believe, from the CDPR website. So so you can you can own it too. It's not as special as it used to be, but it's still pretty special to me. Yeah, I'll have to go look that up. <laughs> See, unfortunately, it doesn't. I'm I live down here in Florida, so it doesn't get that cold very often. But you know, sometimes you need a jacket. Oh, you know, global climate change. I'm sure that will change eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, we'll stay above water because the entire state of Florida is like you know two feet above sea flo- you know seawater. Yeah, most most of Florida is underwater in 2020. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Um, I live in a zone that's a little bit higher, but mm, it's not going to take much to get us underwater. So, hopefully, by the time that happens, I can uh, afford to move to a a different location <laughs> that's a little bit more uh, above ground. Uh, no, it, it's cool. There is a uh, there is a uh, artificial city off the coast of Florida in Cyberpunk 2020 called Atlantis, where the wealthy people in Florida basically. They didn't want to leave Florida, so they made their own island, own artificial island city. Cool. There's a uh, resort down in the Caribbean called Atlantis, too. I wonder if they uh, have competitions over trademark rights and things. Oh, you know, it's one of those things. Atlantis is a pretty popular name for anything involving the sea, I guess. Yeah, right, right. Since the dawn of time, there have been storytellers who teach through their stories. These myths give rise to fundamental truths, and these truths shape our collective experience. Yet these myths are not something of the past, and today they engage us more fully in the story itself. Video games allow us to live the lives of our favorite myths. My name is Blue Crew 86 host of Focus Fire Chat, and I want to invite you to explore our modern-day myths with us. Join with us as we explore the stories, the mythologies of the Destiny franchise, as well as other games. Let's explore together. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Hey there, cyberpunks. This is your host, Tom, and I hope you guys are enjoying this very special episode of the Cyberpunk Lorecast. I just wanted to jump in here in the middle and remind you that if you were interested in getting episodes of this podcast with no advertisements, then check out patreon.com slash cyberpunk lorecast. There's a bunch of different tiers you can subscribe at to get episodes with no advertisements, and I would love the support. Also, this show is brought to you by Loot Crate. And you can get 15% off a loot crate today by clicking the link in the show notes. Use the link in the show notes. That way they know we sent you. And using the code ROBOTSRADIO, R-O-B-O-T-S-R-A-D-I-O, at checkout. Go check it out. If you're into all sorts of cool swag, t-shirts, things to put on your walls, things to put on your desks for video games and comic books and all sorts of nerd culture stuff, go check it out. It's a really fantastic deal. Plus, you'll get 15% off by using the code ROBOTSRADIO and clicking the link in the show notes. That's all the time I'm going to take for the middle of this episode. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of our interview. It gets more and more interesting as it goes. Enjoy. Cyberpunk Red, how has, how has, well, how has that been for you? You've been working on the project. Um, are you getting good feedback on it? Are people still, you know, do you see an increase in excitement with 2077 getting all this news? You know, people asking questions about it. Is it, is it getting a lot of buzz? Yeah, it's getting a buzz. We're really excited. We're very, we're very glad to know that people are excited about playing it. Um, and uh, we want to get it out, but and it's just like CDPR. We want to make sure it's right before we get it out. So we, I, I have to apologize. It could have been out sooner, but it would not have been as good a game as it's going to be when it does come out. So, is there anything you can share with us from behind the scenes? And and you know, a lot of what we talk about on this show is lore, but we also talk about news and, and gameplay and things like that too. Um, this fills in the gaps between 2020 and 2077. Are there is there anything that we really should be aware of? Uh, it takes place in 2045, roughly, um, though you can certainly play it earlier or later if you really wanted to. So it takes you about midway to 2077, uh, timeline-wise. It is a world that is rebuilding from the Fourth Corporate War, which I think you did an episode on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it it is a slow rebuilding because uh, a large parts of the world were impacted, and the parts that weren't impacted as much aren't particularly interested in helping the parts that were impacted um global shipping was disrupted the net crashed thanks to uh the rabbits virus and the data crash uh, which means that uh the entire infrastructure communications infrastructure and data infrastructure of the world was more or less destroyed and uh, it's been slow going to rebuild uh, night city is in the process of rebuilding uh, it is uh not so much a centralized city as it is a group of neighborhoods and districts that have banded together uh, with different, uh, w- what you can call it, a, a junta, basically the the heads of the various districts and neighborhoods coming together to form a ruling council. Uh, and, or, you know, sometimes those are corporate people and sometimes those are gangs. Uh, though, uh, as time goes on, power is starting to normalize and older structures are beginning to come back. Uh, the place that was uh, nuked is being re, uh, taken apart, dismantled, so that it can be rebuilt. Uh, the megastructures that you see in Cyberpunk 2077 uh, in Watson are being built uh, at the time of the red. Some of them are either near completion or completed, but most of them are still being built. Um, 
Uh, and basically there is, you know, just it's a world rebuilding. So it is not post-apocalyptic, but it is uh, more dystopian than 2020 was or 2077 will be. Wow. At the same time, though, um, in a lot of ways, it's more hopeful. This is the neat thing about it is because in 2020, uh, corporations controlled everything. Uh, you, you you couldn't really fight them. You could win small battles against the corporate giants, but you could not win in the end, really. In the end, if they wanted to crush you, they would crush you. There was there was no real stopping that. They were monoliths. In the in the time of the red, in Cyberpunk Red, you will be able to, to you, you won't be able to take over the world, but you will be able to carve out your own place in it. And that will be it might be a bigger place. And it might be a matter of community. Uh, you might be able to make a community that functions and is not horrible, uh, destructive and controlling, or it might just be, you know, you and your, you know, the people you are close to, you know, forming your own company or your own crew and, uh, and making a name for yourself and being able to, to, to live by your own terms, as opposed to the terms of the corporations that are above you. Yeah. That's, that's, um, it's a very different dynamic than what's in 2020. Um, I just did an episode on Arasaka, the or- origins of Arasaka, and um, based on my research, it seems that Arasaka becomes in control of Night City by 2077. Is that correct? Um, that is a question for CDPR. Okay, okay. Because uh, I'm wondering if there's some some connection here in what happens in the time of the Red with how that comes about. But I, I, I can tell you that Arasaka in the United in in United States, even though States, uh, in the time of the Red, it's in the Pacific uh, Confederation, the uh, Pacific Confed, um, or the Pacifica Confed. Um, and Arasaka is relatively, for at, at that time, more of a Japanese corporation because the right. uh, government pulled it back. Um, that doesn't mean that Arasaka has given up on Night City or on uh other parts of the world in general and so uh yeah arasaka plays a part i'm just not going to say what part plays yet ah okay uh, we'll have to wait and see then i guess yeah yeah this uh, coincides with the research I, I was doing they um they basically were kicked out <laughs> and had to go back to japan and um i guess it's a mystery somehow they re-emerge on the world stage and are now involved with what's going on in night city so uh, i have to we'll have to dig into that once we get Boy. the game released it is what 32 years that's a long time you yeah know? yeah a lot can happen in 32 years yes yes i think back 32 years ago and i was a kid <laughs> 32 years ago did we have google did you know did we have uh facebook nope nope no, it, no, ibm at one time was the big computer power of the world and then it was microsoft and now it's not really anybody you know is it google google and amazon rule the world at this point so, yeah you know everything everything a lot can change in a couple of decades right right now i'm sure working with a guy like mike pondsmith and other intelligent people on this team there's probably some talk as as the world moves on and we seem to be inching closer and closer to what might be a cyberpunk dystopian future um is there is there talk about that amongst you guys things like you know jeff bezos having more wealth than countries and that kind of thing 
we, we talk we talk about things we look at the the trends and what's going on because you can't can't write science fiction without understanding the present and in fact you know william gibson i believe has been quoted as saying that when he wrote neuromancer he wasn't writing about the future he was writing about the present but since no one would buy a book about the present he wrote a book about the future yeah and so you know that's that is something that we look at um, every day, what's going on in the world and uh, how will that influence. Um, for example, when I talk about shipping breaking down in cyberpunk uh, in cyberpunk red, uh, the fourth corporate war destroyed global shipping routes, uh, decimated entire fleets of ships, uh, uh, you know, made it hard to get goods from point A to point B. And uh, because of that, and, you know, Mike uh, got a lot of that. You just look at the world it is. And, you know, it's a, there's a book out there called 99% of Everything, which talks about how uh, cargo shipping is the lifeblood of, of the planet because everything gets everywhere. If you think about it, we're a global society. And that means uh, wherever something is made, it has to get the parts from somewhere, the raw materials. And those raw materials can come from anywhere. And then once they're made, they have to get to where they're going. And that's not happening by plane. That's happening by boat. Mm -hmm. And so if you shut down ocean-based shipping, you are shutting down global trade. It's kind of a reverse globalization in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's the opposite. And globalization depends entirely and heavily on those cargo ships and the internet. Um, you can have, uh, you know, we had obviously had global trade be- even before we had large cargo ships and the internet. But the f- when we finally got it, that's when it really started taking off when we had uh, consistent worldwide communication systems, first the telegraph, then the telephone, then the internet, um, and these just giant massive cargo container ships, you know, carrying thousands upon thousands of cargo uh, boxes mm-hmm. that's that that changed everything and so you know mike looked at that and he said oh well I can screw up the world really badly if i disrupt that so why don't i do that <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, man that it's a wonderful mental puzzle or conundrum to, to wonder about how what on the ground would that feel like to the people of even just the united states like the people in our communities if that were to break down today it's a really cool thing to to struggle with this idea of like what would we do where would we get our food where would we get our products how would manufacturing change um if you had to source everything domestically again what products would you not even be able to have And, and i'm not just talking like um you know cpus for your for your computer because obviously those are sourced overseas but even things like a table you know like it's it's not that simple to just retool manufacturing and source materials all domestically and change industry it just won't happen overnight it's going to take I mean, decades you think about it for yeah it does you know it does it's about it, a second no one makes televisions in the united states the last as far as i know the last manufacturer of televisions in the united states was zenith and they shut down when i was a kid in the 80s yeah. um uh, but there are enough televisions in the united states as long as there's people to repair them and you know there's always gonna be technically adept people out there as long as there are repair people you everyone can still have televisions with no new televisions being made as long as they're willing to have old televisions for a very and repair those old televisions for a very long time right right it's almost like the uh, what happened in cuba where everybody still drives cars from the 1950s yep 
and, it, and that's actually a really good example. And Mike's fond of saying, using cell phones as an example, he's saying, if we were not to get a new cell phone ever from China, because that's where most, are, most of them are made, uh, we would still have enough cell phones in the United States for everyone to have a cell phone for generations. Because there's just so many of them, so long as we can keep them in working order. Right, right. Yeah, and man, it's a complete flip philosophically from, uh, you know, like the <laughs> replace your phone every year, get the new one to going back to a lot of what our grandparents or great grandparents went through before, um, you know, before World War Two, during the Depression, this idea of just keeping and maintaining and you buy things for life, um, you know, that, that whole philosophy. And in the time of the red, techs are especially are super important. Your neighborhood tech is what keeps all your technology working. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Very cool. So if you're if you're thinking about building a character, <laughs> techie's probably the way to go. Um, and they got great special abilities too because they can make new stuff. They can can upgrade stuff. They, the techs are, are awesome. Yeah, let's let's dig into a little bit of the nitty gritty. Do you have a favorite character class? Do you have one that you go with usually? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I make characters, concepts, and whichever, whichever, whatever floats in my head. And then uh, I'm, I'm perpetually a GM. I'm a horrible player uh-huh. uh, because I'll play a character for like three sessions. Go, oh, no, I'm, I'm done. I want to try a new concept now. Right. Uh, and right. It drives the drives Game Masters crazy. So do you have um, like a favorite scenario that you've created as a GM do you, or one that is just kind of notable that you'd like to share with us? Oh, Maybe, I mean, I'm really fond of the apartment, which is the scenario that comes in the cyberpunk red jumpstart kit. I did not create it. That's Mike's. Um, but it's, it's, it's to me, the quintessential cyberpunk, which is a bunch of people live in a building. A corp comes, wants to tear the building down. What are you going to do about it? Nice, simple, personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it, it takes, you know, some, something real, uh, which is, you know, gentrification and uh, makes it cyberpunk. And, you know, it gives you a chance to fight back. And I, and I love that. So to me, that's like the best cyberpunk scenario. Yeah. Yeah. It's very personal. It's almost like, um, I mean the, uh, uh, judge dread movie that came out a few years back. Kind of, kind of similar to that actually. And, and there are a lot of people, you know, called judge dread, uh, a British cyberpunk and that, you know, there's that, and that's, that's also neat. There's all kinds of different takes and you see, uh, you, you'll see some of that. Um, there's a character called Susan Forrester, uh, in the 2020s, she is the state executioner for the state of Northern California, which means that when the state decides people are going, are, have committed a crime, uh, that is punishable by death, they don't have, they can be tried in absentia and Susan goes out and there they go. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at the picture, the one picture of her, um, Sourcebook Protect and Serve, she is in some very Judge Dreddy style armor. So there is uh, some Judge Dread influence on Cyberpunk there. Oh, that's very cool. Very, very cool. So when it comes to 2077, and this is one of those questions I've been posing to everybody, but what are you going to go with for your first playthrough? What background, what like life story, and then what uh, class? Oh, I haven't decided yet. Yeah. It's one of those things. Um, um, you know, I think back to Mass Effect and I always, I think, uh, I always ended up some kind of combination of tech and biotic. And so I will probably end up, uh, a net runner with some tech skill. Mm-hmm. 
as for background, all, all three so far sound amazing. And I don't know what I'll pick. I'll have to think really hard about it. And there's a decent chance I will get halfway through the first, the prologue, say, nah, uh-huh. I want to do something else. And I'll, cause I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm that person who restarted Skyrim like 10 times. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Totally. Oh, that, that face looked great in character in, in character creation, but it looks horrible when I'm looking at it now. Nope, I don't like that skill loadout. Uh, uh, you know what? I just found out Argonians can breathe underwater, and I like traveling in the river because it's generally it's generally safer. Uh, so yeah, uh, there's a good chance I'm going to restart the game a couple of times before I finally settle through on a playthrough. I do the same thing. I totally do the same thing. I, I will build a character out, and I'll get about I don't know five or ten hours in, and I'll go hmm. But what about this one? <laughs> I go change it's it around. A, it's a, and I'll be, and I was like, I, I can see how that situation would have changed entirely if I had that skill. And I'm like, well, I'm not waiting. Yeah, Back now we need beginning. to find out. Now I, need, now I have to go do it the other way with a completely different character. I bet you that would be more fun. And and, and so, like, like, and I played Mass Effect uh, 3, uh, the Mass Effect trilogy, like 10 times through with different combinations, male Shep, Fem uh, Shep, uh, you know, different classes, different, you know, backgrounds, because you could pick backgrounds in there too. They weren't mm-hmm. super helpful. They only gave you some small side quests. So it's not like they are in um, Cyberpunk, but they, they still did something. And, you know, in my mind, they influenced how I had Shepard interact with the world and how I had them respond, Paragon or Renegade, what conversation options I chose. Yeah. So you, you are very much a strict role player when you approach these games rather than somebody who was what I would consider a game player, somebody who just kind of min maxes the system. You, you get in the head of your character. Oh, yeah. No, it, I do what makes sense for the character that I am playing at the time, even if could possibly do and i'll sit there and i'll say i know this is the dumbest thing i could possibly do but gosh darn it that is what my character would do right now so that i'm going to do it um so uh, the end result being that it took me forever to get and like i said mass effect you have paragon and renegade and you get you know trophies for and i just said trophies therefore everyone knows exactly what system i play on um yeah. mm-hmm. uh, uh, with trophies uh you know you get the the pure Paragon and pure Renegade. It took me forever to get those because I couldn't stick to one. Cause like every once in a while that, that that's like, yep, that Renegade option just makes perfect sense right now, no matter how nice a guy I am. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Cause I, I do the same thing. I, I enjoy, it, it makes it harder sometimes for sure, but it, it's more real. I mean, that's why you role play a game is to get into the head of a character. Years ago when I started streaming, I streamed a lot of Skyrim and I specifically did a playthrough with the community and they helped me build my character. But we decided that my character, of course, was a kleptomaniac because you have to pick everything up in all the buildings and things. That was that was pretty easy. And it's also fun to have to steal something like I had to steal something no matter what room I was in. And sometimes that got really difficult. But then he was also deathly afraid of horses. And so I, I both couldn't have a horse, but I also couldn't travel between the cities using the carriage because of the horses. So I had to walk everywhere <laughs> and it made, made the game take a lot longer. But I ran into like every single situation out in the wild that could have happened. And it created a completely different perspective on the game. I played not Skyrim, but Oblivion back when mm-hmm. uh, I, w- I was running a fantasy game. Um, I can't even remember what system I was running. And it may have been uh, D&D. It may have been Pathfinder. Um, but I went through and I basically took screenshots of different locations and said, you are here. Uh-huh. 
uh, in my games rather than, you know, I, I, I would describe it, but I also say, and this is what it looks like. Cause I just found, I was like, Oh, these are what dwarven ruins look like. And these, what, what, what elvish, uh, uh places look like. Yeah. 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 And so it worked, it worked beautifully. And I am looking forward to being able to run around 2077 with photo mode, take pictures of places in night city. And even though my game will probably be set in the time of the red, it'll be enough like 2077 that I can say, yep, this is where you are right here in this place, this building right here in front of, and you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. Well, Thank you for joining me. I, I want to leave us with uh, just kind of any other any other things that you want to share uh, about Cyberpunk Red or 2077. Is there anything that is just, you know, I don't know, you just can't wait to get to do when either of those get released? Is there is there something that, that you or, or that you would love to share with the community? I'm looking forward to playing it um, because not it, it's neat, of course, because not only uh, will I what I played anyway, I, I, I could have had nothing to do with it and I would play it. Are you kidding? Um, but just knowing that, you know, I, I've gotten to know a lot of people who are working on it and uh, that's exciting for me. Um, I will share that this is no knowledge, but, and I can tell you what, but you will be able to find Mike Pondsmith in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so look for him. And, uh, uh, for Red, uh, if you are interested in an easy way to get into Cyberpunk Red and role-playing, look for the Cyberpunk Red Jumpstart Kit. Uh, you can buy it at your friendly local gaming store or from our uh, website, uh, telzorianstore.com, or you can buy a digital version, which is half the price, at DriveThruRPG. Uh, it comes in PDFs, uh, everything you need to, be, to get started playing. Uh, we're looking at releasing the core rulebook for Cyberpunk Red uh, end of summer, uh, but the world being what it was, what it is, uh, with, uh, speaking of disrupting, uh, global shipping <laughs> right. and distribution, uh, we can't promise it. Uh, we're doing our best, uh, and we'll, we'll have more information. If you'd like to learn more about the game and see some develop, developers logs about the development of it, you can go, uh, to our website at artelzoriangames.com where we have, uh, devlogs from Mike and James Hutt who are both working on the game and if you want to see Mike run the game with uh, uh, a number of people including um, Matthew Lillard aka the voice of Shaggy Rogers from Scooby-Doo aka the serial killer from Hackers uh, playing the serial killer from Hackers only in the cyberpunk universe <laughs> you can uh, go to Homeworks uh, TV's YouTube channel uh, where you will find uh, two episodes of Mike personally running Cyberpunk Red for him and several other really cool players. Very, very cool. And to our audience, that is primarily of the, the video game perspective, and you really haven't dug into tabletop RPGs, go check that stuff out. Uh, the, the experience of being able to sit down with a bunch of friends and be in the Cyberpunk world is is very very cool it's very unique and and a really cool setting and if and if something like dungeons and dragons never got your interest this this might be your entry into tabletop gaming so definitely go check that stuff out jay thank you so much for joining me this has been an absolutely amazing conversation i've had so much fun talking to you about this stuff um i would love to talk with you again once we get closer to the release of cyberpunk red and and we get more details about that world and that kind of thing or cyberpunk 2077 um i'd love to have you back on the show Sure. It's a date. Awesome. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to leave anybody with any uh, contact info to get a hold of you? If, if they wanted to reach out, what's the best way to do uh, that? 
it's all on our website, but you can find me, uh, find us on Twitter at, uh, at our Telsorian games and Facebook, uh, same name and, uh, on Instagram at official our Telsorian. And yeah, please reach out. We, uh, we, we post content daily. Uh, in last year, for example, we posted uh, one fact a day about the cyberpunk universe called uh, Countdown to the Dark Future, which you can find also on our website, archived. Uh, and right now we are doing the same thing for our Castle Falkenstein universe. So please, you know, join in. And we're also running a really cool thing called Choose Your Own Cyberpunk, where each weekday, uh, which is a not a holiday, uh, we post a snippet of a story and three options. And based on the vote of the audience we post the next you know we write the next part of the story based on those votes so come join us for a official cyberpunk story set in the cyberpunk universe uh which you can help shape that's so fun i love i love those kinds of you know decide your adventure kinds of content um so cool stuff everybody definitely go check out their stuff reach out to them and um i know a lot of you are just itching to get into 2077 and you're a little bit sad that things got delayed but there are lots of things that you can be doing in the cyberpunk universe before you can actually sit down and play it in a video game so go check that stuff out jay thanks again for joining me and thank you to all of our listeners i appreciate you guys tuning into the cyberpunk lorecast every week and i will be back again with the next episode next week and until then stay safe in night city talk to you guys later Thanks for tuning in to the Cyberpunk Lorecast. This show is a part of the Robots Radio Network, smart podcasts for interesting people. If you'd like to help support the show, please tell a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. If you'd like to get in contact, please send an email to cyberpunklorecast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at cyberpunklore. Also, join the community on the Robots Radio Discord. The link is in the show notes. The music on the show was written and performed by The Midnight and was used with their permission. Go check them out at themidnightofficial.com. Until next time, stay safe in Night City. We'll talk to you later. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. Are you an avid player of the Elder Scrolls Online and looking to take your game to that next level? Well, the Red Diamond Courier Podcast is here to help. I'm Bob Chichinsky. And I'm Dogbark24. We are two experienced players aiming to help others learn and improve through in-game knowledge and references. From PvE. To PvP. And everything in between. There's sure to be something for you in the Red Diamond Courier. We, we hope, hope you check, check us, us out. out. Thanks. Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the hosts of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast, a podcast about all things Legend of Zelda, from Errol to Zora. And all the fun things in between. If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about the Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, come join us on Legend of Zelda Lorecast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon.